Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. I hope it's a payday for you, for you weekly and bi-weekly wage earners. Perhaps today is the day. Or maybe if you're a person that gets paid on the last business day of the month. I don't know. Maybe today's your day, too. Who knows? No matter how you get paid, I hope you got plenty. I hope you're able to get out and go do some fun things. It is a beautiful day here in Starkville. A little cold and perhaps a little windy at times, but it is a beautiful day. It is usually a beautiful day in Starkville, Mississippi. A lot of things to talk about. A lot of things to talk about. I don't know if you guys have read, but late yesterday I published a story over on jeanspage.com. We have uh, been running a 60% off on the annual subscription promotion. It's a good time for you to jump on board. But uh, this was a free article about uh, Deronye Wilson. I have worked on this for the last couple of days and uh, had some conversations about the murder investigation into the untimely passing of Mississippi State former wide receiver Deronye Wilson. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But I'll share with you this. um, I don't know that I could be a crime reporter. You know, every so often you kind of dip into something fresh and something perhaps that, uh, you know, is kind of a peripheral issue, you know, within your scope of journalism. You know, primarily I'm a Mississippi State guy. And, of course, the fact that uh, Bayer also a Mississippi State guy, you know, the, the lines kind of cross. But, um, you know, after having some interactions with some people in his family and, of course, some people close to him, I don't know that I could consistently cover crime. I have a lot of respect for the people that do. I don't know that I have the stomach for it. It has really impacted me, I'll be honest with you. It really, really has. It's been just over two years since uh, Bear was shot and killed in his own residence. Not a lot of answers. So I'm going to tell you what I learned a little bit later in the show, but a tip of the cap to those out there on the crime beat because uh, that, that is a skill set that I have not acquired, is being able to kind of distance yourself from that. And, I, you know, there, that's the thing. There are still victims. There are still living victims. that are still living with the trauma of all these things that have transpired. And, and some of these folks, um, you'll never be the same. It's one thing to go out there and break a recruiting story or it's a coaching search. Or, you know, that, that stuff's, you know, that Im- impacts people's lives too. But there is not a, a finality with that sort of stuff. You know, the people continue to move on. Life goes on. But when someone you love has been murdered... It's difficult to move past. And sadly, I have had some people in my life that have been murdered, but not a brother and not a sibling, not a child. And so I have a lot of respect for those that are dealing with that. I had a friend of mine, kind of a friend of a friend, one of those people that ends up you know, being in your circle of influence for a short time. And, uh, you know, life moved on, and, and he wasn't in my life for a while, and then occasionally I would see him or hear from him, and then I heard that he got into a fight at a bar, and uh, three guys followed him home and killed him. And to this day, no one has been brought to justice, and it infuriates me. A lot of people say, oh, it was just an accident. And it wasn't just an accident. It wasn't an accident to us, and I won't get into the details of the case, but let me just tell you, that's this wasn't a situation where there was a barroom brawl gone bad. You don't leave the scene and follow somebody home and then kill them and call it a crime of passion. And so there is some frustration with all of that. And uh, so I understand those losses, not to this level, though. 
Not to this level. It's one of those things you begin to think, man, this guy was a good guy. He didn't deserve this. Uh, no matter what he went through in life, no matter the mistakes he made, he didn't deserve to have his life, uh, you know, terminated prematurely. And that was the case, you know, with my buddy Jason. But, um, you know, we move on with life, and uh, you hope at some point there's a break in the case. And uh, my hope is that Bears family don't have to wait as long as uh, Jason's family is having to wait. You know, you hope that somebody will come forward and, and share some information. So I'm going to update you on what I've learned. I think it's important that we keep this story alive. Bear is and was one of us. And while he is no longer living, he's no longer on this side of the grass, his family is. And I think it's important that his family are well aware that we have not forgotten, that we have not moved on. We may enjoy our life and, you know, we're going to live life uh, on life's terms, but at the same time, too, we can still hold out some hope and some support that this family gets some justice for a guy that meant an awful lot to an awful lot of us. So I'm going to update you on that, and uh, i got some recruiting stuff to talk about. There's always some late developments, and they're not always positive. So we're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show, and we're going to talk about a big Mississippi State women's basketball win. A lot of people ready to give up on the season. It's a good thing that the Bulldogs have not given up on the season. Let's thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I had lunch there earlier this week on Wednesday. You guys, uh, I shared with you then I was going. Uh, some of you showed up. I don't know if we just happened to cross paths accidentally, but I had a handful of people that came up and said, hey, Steve, love the podcast. Hey, Steve, really enjoy the boneyard. You take a few pictures, shake a few hands, you have a good day. It's always nice to be able to meet you guys. I know that uh, we have become part of each other's lives, and uh, it's nice that we have a relationship. We have the opportunity to kind of break bread together. And uh, so I appreciate you guys coming up and saying hello. Wish you guys the absolute best. And again, thanks so much for your support of the show. But Bulldog Burger Company, I went and had the sliders. I like those Sloppy Joe sliders, but they're a great lunch item. You know, because that's the thing. When you buy a hamburger from Bulldog Burger Company, uh, you're making a commitment. I mean, you really are. And it could change the course of your day. And what I mean by that is you may get so full at lunch and say, you know what, I'm not going to eat big tonight. I'm still full from lunch. Because the portions at Bulldog Burger Company are so plentiful. To me, the Sloppy Joe sliders are just the right size for lunch. I don't know that I could eat it for dinner, but I like it for lunch. So I had that. I've recently also got the the uh, the freshman 15 with some onion rings. I'm an onion ring guy. I don't like onions. I don't like uncooked onions at all, at all. Matter of fact, I think people that put uh, you know onions in potato salad are probably demented. I think something's wrong. But I like onion rings, and they make the best onion rings in town at Bulldog Burger Company. So have those, perhaps, as your side the next time. Those fries are great and substantial, but sometimes you want to change it up. Three great locations now to serve you right here on University Drive in Star Vegas and, of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. What a great location that is. And the brand-new one, Lake Harbor Drive in the Richmond Flowood area. Go by, check them out. Tell them I sent you. Let them know that you're a Boneyard person. You appreciate them. Uh, sponsoring the Boneyard. We've had a great partnership for many, many years, and I hope it continues for many, many years. I enjoy going in there and eating. I told you guys I was a fan of them, I think, before they were a fan of mine. Love Bulldog Burger Company, a great local place run by people that do a great job and have fed people in this neck of the woods for many, many years. They know how to feed folks, so go check them out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk some women hoops. 
you know, big news earlier this week, Rakia Jackson goes into the NCAA transfer portal. We talked about that at length on Wednesday. We, we will not belabor the point today. We are moving on. Mississippi State women's basketball team played their first game without Rakia Jackson as a member of the active roster. Now, there have been some times that she has not been available to the team. And ironically, Mississippi State is 3-4 and four in the Southeastern Conference, and all three of those wins came without Rakia Jackson. I don't say that as a criticism of her. I say that to say that this is a team that's capable of winning games in this league, even without Rakia Jackson. And I, here's what I think happens, too, is when somebody that maybe is a prolific scorer is removed from your lineup, other people are kind of challenged to step up, and you share the basketball a little bit more, because sometimes you become a little bit too reliant on one player. You start thinking, hey, we need to get the ball to Rakia, let her get a shot up. You know, and like, hey, there's no doubt about it. She can score the basketball. But she wasn't available last night. We, and sure enough, we had some players step up, and we did share the basketball better. It was outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. You guys may have forgotten this. Missouri beat South Carolina, and then Mississippi State beat, South, beat Missouri to death last night. The final score was not truly indicative of how well Mississippi State played in the ballgame. You know, we give up some points late you know, that allowed them to kind of make the score somewhat respectable. But Mississippi State was by far the better team. We had 4,426 people as a paid attendance. There were not nearly that many on hand. And that's one of the things that I saw, too, and I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to give them any glory on this show. Like, oh, they mentioned you on the show, even though you're, you're a negative twit. Um you know, I see people out there you know, talk about attendance. Guys, it was a 5.30 tip midweek. What did you expect our fans to do? Oh, well, people are voting with their mouth. They're all upset. But no, it's 5.30, 5.30 on a Thursday on a team that is kind of middle of the road right now. We love women's basketball. We do at Mississippi State. We do. We've learned to love it. But don't be critical of our fans because we couldn't make a midweek game at 5.30. And don't, don't use the fact that we had kind of limited attendance yesterday to push your own narrative. Give me a break. Get over yourself. All right, Mississippi State wins the first quarter 24-19. The second, 22-17. The third, 17-10. At that point, the rest of the game is academic. Missouri does win the final quarter 16-14. Mississippi State, 77-62 winners. Advance the overall record to 12-7. and 3-4 and in the Southeastern Conference in Missouri. 15-6 and overall. Uh, four and four in the SEC. Would you call it an upset? I don't know. It's probably just a game between two teams that are kind of similarly situated. But when you factor in uh, what these ladies have been through this week, then you look at it and say, hey, you know, Mississippi State probably was expected to lose this game. However, came out pretty much dominated. The game was tied just twice. The lead changed hands just once. Mississippi State dominated the game. The hero of the ball game for the Mississippi State women I'll give you a chance to think. It was Katarian Thompson. How about that? I mean, she has been largely a reserve player for Mississippi State. We talk about people stepping up. Here it is. Here it is. Katarian Thompson plays all 40 minutes. That's right, all 40 minutes. The only player on either team to go the duration of the game. And she was as hot as a Saturday night special. 10 from 15 from the floor, 7 of 12 from 3. You heard that right, 7 of 12 from 3. Just one rebound, just one personal foul, one assist, one turnover, three steals, and 27 points. 
You're like, well, Steve, how do we make it up? Well, maybe Kateri Thompson's like, hey, guys, dogs, I got you. It's just one ball game, but my goodness, what a great individual effort from a player that has not had a major impact on the team this year. And it's incredible. That's kind of how things work sometimes. All of a sudden, you know, you, you get somebody out of the way and allow somebody else some room to breathe. And if nothing else, I think Doug Novak and these ladies have proven once again there is no quit in this team. Absolutely no quit. Nobody gave them a chance to go in at Alabama. They do. Well, what, seven scholarship players? They go out there and make it happen. Then you beat Vanderbilt, you know, one back-to-back, and then we gave South Carolina all they wanted and then some, and people expect us to get blown out. Doug Novak is not going to be your basketball coach next year at Mississippi State on women's side. He's not. And it would be easy for a guy like him to kind of mail it in. And even if you sat in a job interview across from somebody else, you can say, hey, listen, guys, what would you expect? I mean, I – Kind of got the job late. It was a very difficult circumstance. I mean, the head coach resigned due to some personal issues. I wasn't hired to do this job. And next thing I know, I've got these issues. And then our leading scorer leaves the team. What would you expect? I mean, that would be an easy situation to sell. But Doug Novak's not having that. He's like, nah, we're going to go out here and compete. Now, the flip side of it is, too, you want to talk about a resume builder. Doug Novak can go in there and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, here's the situation. I'd never coached on the women's side. I've never had to direct that offense. They see the head coach leave. I take over. We end up having a winning season. Our leading scorer leaves, and we find a way to win some ball games. That says a lot about Doug Novak. No matter how you feel about him or the direction of the program, you have to be somewhat respectful of the fact that Doug Novak is getting a lot out of these players. Anastasia Hayes, she was one of the most prolific scorers in the country last year. She gives you 24. So you got two players scoring over 20 points. Missouri didn't have a single one. They had three in double digits. We only had the two. But two of our ladies pitched in 51 points. 51. That'll get it done. Shooting the basketball a little bit better, too. 51% on the day uh, for the Lady Bulldogs. Danae Carter... Rounding back into good shape herself, 35 minutes of action, four of seven from the floor, pulled down five rebounds, did get in a little bit of foul trouble, but not, not too significant, able to play, play through it. Eight points for her. Jacalia Jordan also back in the lineup, 29 minutes for her, uh, two of five from the floor, knocked down one three, pulled down four rebounds. She also got in a little more serious foul trouble with four fouls, pitched in five points, but she'll get going. And Maya Taylor... You know, there may not be a more underappreciated player in the women's basketball recent tradition than Maya Taylor. She could have gone anywhere in the country. She elected to come here and be a part of our great program at the time. You never hear of any drama from her. She just goes out there and competes. And, you know, that, that big play against Alabama made all the difference in the world. She goes 38 minutes, just two of nine from the field, but hands out eight assists against one turnover and also has six steals. Just four points on the night, but she was a facilitator for this team. Aislinn Hayes also goes 13 minutes, has nine points. That's a pretty good contribution from your bench right there. We get Charlotte Cole and Afwe Jones in the game late, and that's part of that late run by Missouri too. You know, we're emptying the bench out a little bit. But a great win for Mississippi State against a team that is still contending to get into the NCAA tournament. They have a lot to play for. And you know as well as I do, when the Tigers got ready to get on the plane to come down here, they're like, hey, we're fixing to go win this ball game. 
Rakia's not there. Oh, this bunch of this this bunch of girls down here, we're fixing to run them out of their own gym. And then you have to go get back on that plane and go home, you know, with a whoop tail. I love the effort from this team. 26 points in the paint, 24 points off turnovers, just two second chance points. That's interesting, right? 13 on the fast break, nine from the bench. Uh, Got to get better from free throw. We're right at 70%. But the reality of it is, is this is a ball game. Most people expected Mississippi State to lose. They didn't lose, and they won pretty emphatically. That's the thing that I go back and think about with this one. It's like, you know what, even if we kind of believed a little bit, you know, we get down here in the, you know, in the fourth quarter, you know, and this game is basically over. You know, guys, we're up 77-60 with under a minute to play. The game was over. We could have done whatever we wanted to in that fourth quarter. You know, I guess at one time in the fourth they cut it in under 10, but by and large, you pretty much led by double digits throughout the final period. That will win you a lot of ball games. It was just under two minutes to play. We knocked down a three. Kateria Thompson makes it a 73-58 game with 15-point you know, lead there with just under two minutes to play. It's over. It's absolutely over. And so, again, an unexpected surprise. And not to say that you know Missouri was expected to come in here and just run roughshod over us. You know, but they were a team that probably expected to come win the ball game. I expected them to come win the ball game. They didn't. They didn't. So what's next for the ladies? Well, let's talk about that for a second. Again, ladies now 12 and 7 uh, overall. Got some more SEC play in front of us. So we will host Texas A&M on Sunday. Now, I don't know if you know this, Texas A&M not really playing exceptionally well right now. And so now you start counting wins, right? You know, used to we would you know kind of schedule watch everybody else and we'd think, okay, well, you know, we, this is a W, this is a W. Uh, on the women's side, A&M has really struggled this year. Of course, uh, Gary Blair has announced his uh, retirement at season's end. The Aggies, 11-8 and eight overall, just 1-6 and six in the conference. They've lost two in a row. They're also 0-5 on an opponent's home floor. 3-0 and 0 on a neutral floor. Well, it won't be neutral, and I think we'll have a pretty decent crowd. I think some people now will get out and really support this team. That's one thing that I will say, especially on the ladies' side. We have some very tried and true fans. Let's run down the SEC schedule. We're not going to go through the whole thing for A&M. Uh, they open at LSU on the SEC slate. They lose 75-66. They go to Knoxville and get drilled 73-45. They lose to Florida at home in double overtime, 97-89. That's not a great Florida team either. They get beat by 20 by Don Staley in South Carolina there in Colonial Life Arena. They beat Johnny Harris and Auburn 71-53 there in College Station. They get beat at home by Ole Miss 80-63. Lady Rebels playing well. Got beat pretty well last night, but uh, good team. This same Missouri team that we just beat hosted A&M uh, last weekend and beat them 78-69. So you look at this and say, you know what, hey, if I'm Doug Novak, I've got a little uh, a little juice We've got a little esprit de corps kind of spreading among the roster. And you begin to think, hey, here's the deal. Got a chance to go win another ballgame, ladies. We get to do it in front of our crowd. And I, I feel certain there will be a much better crowd this weekend because I know how much you guys love the la- these ladies. I know you do. You want to get out and support them. And, and they're fighting hard for Mississippi State. 
So that'll be a 3 p.m. tip. I believe that's going to be an SEC Network game. I'll be sure to check that out if you can't make it to town. But this is a very winnable game for Doug Novak and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. I mean, I don't expect to, expect to get 27 out of Kateri Thompson, but you found another option scoring-wise. So good win for Mississippi State, and uh, now we can kind of stack some things up. You know, and that's you kind of look at it and you think, hey, we got a chance to actually go on a bit of a run here. We can continue to play well. We didn't play well last weekend against Arkansas. We didn't. But look at what's ahead on the schedule. It's a little soft. A&M at our place. We go to Auburn, who's dead last in the SEC. We get Florida at our place. And then you got Ole Miss here. Now, Ole Miss playing well. And I think if you look at this schedule, these are three winnable games before we get to Ole Miss. And then, you know, what do these two teams look like once we host them? Do, have we found a new identity? Are we more of a cohesive team? You know, without Rakia Jackson, that, that kind of remains to be seen. It, we showed that last night. Now we got to kind of put some things together. And then you get we got to go to Kentucky, who is also kind of struggling this year. And so you begin to look at the schedule, and you realize things aren't quite so bleak. There are some winnable games on the schedule. Do we make the tournament? You know, I don't know. Probably not. But is this a team capable of putting together a winning season? Is this a team capable of uh, – you know, making some racket down the stretch? Yeah, I think so. One thing's for sure, we know they're not going to quit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Mississippi State men's basketball back in action this weekend. And, uh, you know, again, as much as I hate losing, I'm, I'm not bitter or resentful at all about losing to Kentucky. I mean, yeah, we had an opportunity to win the game. And in the immediate aftermath of that game, you're like, oh, my gosh, we should have done this. But then you begin to realize, too, I mean, you know, without Tolu Smith, being able to control the Kentucky Post, very, very difficult. And so here's how it's kind of going to break loose here. And again, you know, Tolu will not expected to play this weekend, and then they'll reevaluate on the weekend. I mean, I guess I mean you, you never know, but you know, I was told earlier in the week that he would be out this week. But gonna play Texas Tech, and uh, Red Raiders have played really well. They have played really well, and we had talked last week if we could somehow get a split here, that would be huge. And I well, again, I will say this again. What happens tomorrow is not going to diminish my expectations or my enthusiasm for Mississippi State men's basketball. It's not. I, and I know sometimes I'm kind of up and down with all of that. I believe in this team. I do believe we have a talent to make the NCAA tournament. I know many of you do as well. We are a very talented team. And we showed that on Tuesday night, even in defeat, without one of our best players. Now, Texas Tech, difficult at home. But can it be more difficult than Rupp Arena? I would say probably not. If I'm Ivers and Molinar, I'm thinking, you know what, hey, we went up there and nearly beat nationally ranked Kentucky in their own gym. We got a shot this weekend. We got a shot. Now, Texas Tech, 12-0 at home. But let's kind of look at this schedule. 
I think you're going to look when you when you when I rattle these names off, you're going to say, yeah, they're 12 and 0, but I don't know they've played a lot of teams quite as talented as us. They open up the season with an 89-74 win in Lubbock over North Florida. They follow that up with an 88-62 win over Grambling State in Lubbock. They get Prairie View A&M 84-49 in Lubbock. They go on the road in the St. Padre Island battle on the beach. They take care of Incarnate Word 84-62. They take care of Omaha 96-40. And they beat Lamar 89-57. Their first game in a true road environment was at Providence College. They actually played that in the Dunkin' Donuts Center, but it's a long way to go, and it's going to be a partisan crowd. They lose to Providence College, 72-68. Interesting. Then they play in Knoxville, and they beat Tennessee, and that's their best win of the season, 57-52 at the time anyway. 57-52, winners in Knoxville. Then they get Arkansas State in Lubbock, and they beat those guys 75-62. They play Gonzaga in the Jerry Colangelo Classic, competed for a while, but lose out there in Phoenix 69-55. Then we go back home. It's Eastern Washington, 78-46 winners. Alabama State, 75-53. Then they go to Ames, Iowa to open up the Big 12 schedule. It's a 51-47 loss against a very good Iowa State team. Then they beat Kansas. This is their marquee win of the year. I mentioned earlier that the win over Tennessee at the time was their biggest win. Then they beat Kansas, 75-67, number six. You say, well, it's kind of a fluke. Well, no. The next game, they go to Baylor and beat number one Baylor, 75-62. Oklahoma State. They beat those guys, too, 78-57. Oklahoma State also beat Baylor, too. They travel to Manhattan, Kansas. They lose 62-51. They beat Iowa State again, the sweep, at the United Supermarkets Arena, 72-60. They get West Virginia at their place, 78-65 winners. They travel to Kansas and gave Kansas all they wanted in Allen Fieldhouse, and that was on Monday, a 94-91 loss in double overtime. And so you look at Mississippi State and you look at Texas Tech and say, you know what, hey, their highers, their highs have been much higher than ours this year. They have beaten some, t- some of the top teams in the country. They're certainly capable of beating us. They're certainly capable of making it a very hostile environment. They also lose to a college blue blood earlier this week in an overtime game just as we did. We're going to have to bring our best effort. There's no question about it. We are not going to be able to just kind of show up and hope for the best. We're going to have to bring it. Very difficult place to play. As I ran down the schedule, very, very weak non-conference schedule. Very, very weak, especially at home. That happens for a lot of teams, right? And so you would say, you know what? Hey, I don't know if I'm a believer. And then you get into Big 12 play, and you see that they have, what, three wins against, or four wins against the top 15 teams in the country at the time? This is a legit team. This is a resume-building opportunity, to say the least. They're 15-5 and five overall, 5-3 five and three in their conference, and again, 12-0 and 0 at home. Let's look a little closer uh, at the Red Raiders. You know, uh, you know, Bob Knight's not there anymore. But this is a team that can put some points on the board. They are, their scoring margin is plus 14 
74.8 points per game, allowing just under 61. Their team also shoots it pretty well. You know, just under 50%, 47% as a team, allowing just 38%. Three-point attempts, not especially prolific, but they're one of these teams, too, that's pretty efficient with it, shooting 32%. Uh, they average just under 7.3s per game. They allow almost eight. So there, you know, there are obviously some opportunities to be had there on the perimeter. We're not a great perimeter shooting team, but perhaps Shaquille Moore can spot up and make a timely three when we need it. Uh, free throw percentage, not very good. Uh, 68%. Their opponents are shooting 67%. Uh, so if that becomes, you know, maybe a war of attrition, maybe if we can do a better job at the free throw line, we can kind of keep this game a little bit closer. Uh, rebounding has been a strength for them. They are a plus 0.72 in rebounding margin, uh, averaging 38 per game, allowing just under 31 per game. Uh, 14, 14.1 assists. So they're obviously a team sharing offense. Turnovers really hadn't been a big deal, you know, for them. They're a team that uh, averages 13.5. They create 16.4. So you got basically a three three turnover differential between what they commit and what they force. On the steal side, they're averaging eight a game and allowing 6.3. Not a lot of blocks, just 66 on the year. They've allowed 52. This is a team, obviously, that uh, is very well balanced. Now let's kind of look inside that team in and of itself. And when you look at the numbers, it really jumps out to you how balanced they are from a scoring standpoint. They have five players that are averaging double digits. So you can't just isolate somebody and say, okay, we're going to make somebody else beat us beside this player. Leading scorer for the Red Raiders is uh, Bryson Williams. Uh, he is a super senior from Fresno, California, a 6'8", 240-pound uh, forward, averaging 13.7 points a game, pulling out 4.8 rebounds. He's got uh, seven of their 66 blocks as well. Number two score averaging uh, 12 points a game is a junior guard, a 6'6", 215-pound guard from Chicago, Illinois, Lincoln Park High School, uh, Terrence Shannon, number one. He will be the guy wearing number one, a long and lean guard. He has played in nine games, missed some time, but when he has been available, he has been very efficient for them. A name perhaps you know is Kevin McCuller, redshirt junior out of San Antonio, Texas, another 6'6", 210-pound guard, averaging just at 11 points a ball game, but also a little bit better rebounder than some of these other guys. 5.6 points, 5.6 rebounds per game, which actually leads a team. That's pretty significant there. Davian Warren, another 6'6 guard. It's, it's like you, 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 you run down this roster and you look at all this length. Obviously a pretty good team that should be good defensively. Another super senior from Buffalo, New York, from Bishop Taman St. Jude High School. Another veteran guy with some length, 10.5 points per ball game. Uh, also a guy that's pretty active on the glass, not quite the same numbers as some others. But, uh, again, the thing that just jumps off the paper is just how balanced this team is. Uh, Kevin O'Banner, another senior, a veteran player, 6'8", 235, out of Houston, Texas, attended Mount Zion Christian Academy. Another guy in double digits, 10.3, uh, pulling down 5.1 rebound, 5 rebounds a game, which is second on the team. So 
you look at this and you say, okay, well, you know, who do you who do you focus on offensively? And that's the thing you look at when you are getting this level of balance scoring from four and five spots on the floor. It makes you very difficult to defend. And then when you've got veteran players, what did we just say? There four seniors, four seniors and a junior. You know, old wins in college. It just does. It doesn't matter to sport when you've got guys out there that have some experiences. They know what it's like to kind of get out there on the road and see what things how things look. They're not going to be intimidated by the moment. Another name to remember is number 25, Adonis Arms. And guess what he is, guys? Just under 6'6". He's 6'5", 200. A super senior from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Desert Vista High School. The fact that there's a Desert Vista in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is a bit of a misnomer. But when I look at this team, it's, it's impressive. And I don't know that we have played anybody this year that is quite as balanced from a scoring standpoint. So we're going to have to defend all five spots on the floor. We're not going to be able to double. We're not going to be able to lay off one guy. These are guys that can shoot the basketball pretty well. They clearly share the basketball. And it's, it just appears to me this is a team that is capable of making a, lot, a nice run in the NCAA tournament. You can see why other teams have struggled with them because of the fact that you just can't focus your defensive effort on one guy. This is going to be a very interesting ball game for Mississippi State. I'm eager to see how we match up. Now, in case you uh, were unaware, that's going to be a 5 p.m. tip on ESPN2. So be sure and tune in for that. If you're out there in the Lubbock, Texas area, I know the Mississippi State Bulldog uh, coaching staff and players would love to hear your voices in the stands there. So be sure and go check it out. Very difficult game in front of us. Very difficult. This is a team, obviously, that's ranked uh, very highly and very highly regarded. But it is a quad one opportunity for us. We have a chance to go in there and kind of boost the resume. And, again, we looked at this week, last week, and said, you know what? It's going to be two difficult teams to, to play on the road, and then we're not going to have Tolu Smith. Even if we go into this week, I don't think all hope is lost. But what you'd like to see is Mississippi State get kind of that season-defining win on the road against a team of cal- the caliber of Texas Tech. Are we capable of doing it? Yes. Do I expect that? I don't at this point, but I do think after what we saw Tuesday night, that Mississippi State will have a good plan. They will go in there and they will execute and play uh, at a high level, and then we'll see how the chips fall. We just kind of need something good to happen. We need somebody to step up like we did Katarian Thompson. We need that kind of performance from somebody on the men's side tomorrow uh, to really keep Texas Tech honest on the defensive side. Because you know what's going to happen is everybody's going to be chasing Iris Molinar around. So he's going to have to distribute and kind of make this team uh, a little more potent uh, from other offensive spots on the floor. All right, let's get to today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. You guys know Blair Chandler. If you don't, you should. Longtime friend of mine, great guy. And we all need a friend in the business, right? We never know what the business is, where we're going to need the friend. But there are a lot of times there are opportunities in life that are kind of complicated. You need somebody that knows the ropes that can kind of help you navigate, uh, you know, some of that confusion. I don't know there is anything out there that's more complicated than the mortgage industry at times. And see, all Steve is sort of sitting that difficult. Well, yeah, it is, and especially if you've never gone through it before. And then there's always this fear of, oh, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, borrow more money against my house. I'm getting a little bit older. You know, sometimes it's necessary. Get your equity working for you. Maybe perhaps you've allowed your debt-to-income ratio to exceed your comfort level. 
pay some bills off, especially if they're high interest loans. Use your mortgage to help you financially. And maybe perhaps the dream of home ownership has eluded you. And maybe you just need the right guy or the right person or the right loan officer to kind of hold your hand through this and kind of get you going. That's Blair. Go to closewithblair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Or I'll tell you what, let me give you his phone number, his personal number, not his administrative assistance number, not his office number. This is his number, 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the deal. If you mention to Blair that you heard about him on the boneyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's right. He's going to pay for it. That's about a $500 to $600 value. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage approved. Well, Blair's like, you know what, let me save you a little bit. Let me give you some incentive because we're going to keep it in the family. No matter who you root for, if you listen to the boneyard, you get those savings. So be sure to tell them by text or by email or by phone, hey, I heard about you on the boneyard, and boom, that appraisal is paid for. Again, closeofblair.com. Okay, we're going to wrap up our two-part series our buddy Nick had reached out, I think it was Nick, that reached out and said, hey, Steve, how about you know, rock bands with uh, colors and their names? And I never know what you guys are dealing with or how you come up with these ideas, but I like the idea. I like modern rock, contrary to popular belief. Like the people that really know me know that, um, you know, I'm a big Shinedown guy. Shinedown dropped a new single this week uh, called Planet Zero off the forthcoming album. Really excited about that. It'll be out uh, March or April, I think. Excited to have new music from those guys. I, I love Alter Bridge. Love the Foo Fighters. You know, I like some of these newer bands that have come out. Um, Rain City Drive is a, is a, a band that I really like a lot. And so this list is going to be kind of a combo, though, because I actually went back and included some 90s. There's no 80s in this, in this uh, list. You know, I could do an 80s color band group. Um, maybe we even put Living Color in there. But... Uh, but the reality of it is, is I wanted to do something a little more modern, but I did expand it a little bit. It's not just all bands from this century, but there are bands that are still active that maybe began in the 90s. And so here are your top 10 modern rock bands with colors. Now, a couple of these bands don't have a big catalog, but I wanted to work the songs in because I really liked them. And it is my show. It is my list. You could have your own list, but your list would be wrong. But number 10, I wanted to work this one in because, number one, it's it's really kind of a novelty song. But also, two, it gave us our first introduction to one of the great, great rock icons in recent memory. That's Maynard James Keenan of Tool in Perfect Circle. And uh, the name of the band is Green Jelly. They used to be called Green Jello. And then, of course, the I guess it was the people from Kellogg's had a bit of a problem with them calling themselves Green Jello. So they changed the name to Green Jelly, and they did this take on the Three Little Pigs. And it had this you know, claymation-type uh, video. And so Maynard sang the part of the pigs, that falsetto, you know, the not by the hair of my chinny. I'm not going to do it. I know you want me to do it. I'm not going to do it. But that's Maynard. That's Maynard from Tool that sang that. And uh, these guys were great friends. And then, of course, one of the guys that I believe was the bass player, um, from green jelly became a member of tool and so kind of the infancy you never thought you'd learn that today okay there's a song about the three little pigs named by a band after jello that birthed one of the great rock bands of my generation you didn't know that and now you do 
Now you do. So now you walk down to that friend of yours that thinks he knows so much about music and say, hey, you, you know the first the first big hit that Maynard James Keenan sang on? They're going to say, oh, it's going to be sober from Tool. No, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Go, go, go show off your new knowledge. Number nine, this is a band that I really dug when it first came out. I haven't heard as much from them as of late. They have had some recent albums, but I have not listened to them. I probably should. But there's a band called Candlelight Red. Candlelight Red. And their debut song off their first EP, I believe it was a four or five track EP, and it was phenomenal. A song called Demons from Candlelight Red. Kind of got that industrial feel a little bit. And that's one of the things that I'll say, we go through this in music every, every like decade. It's like we have guys that are kind of stripped down, just playing good rock and roll. And then we add like a synth and we add all this, you know, post-production type elements to, you know, to make it sound more industrial. And so you're getting a lot of that now. But some of the things that I'm kind of hearing, you know, from artists today and interviews and things like that is, well, I think we're about to strip it down again. But uh, Candlelight Red, one of those bands that really uses the industrial type sound. Okay, I told you guys, I gave you a teaser. A band that I really liked, they're a bunch of young guys, and uh, I don't know if they've done anything in the last year or two, uh, but a band called Black Tide, and the guitar on this is phenomenal. The very first time I heard this, I was like, where are these guys from? You know, I really thought they had a great sound to kind of get going. Uh, they had a great song, too, called Warriors of Time that I really dug. But on our list, your number eight song today is a song called Shockwave by Black Tide. Shockwave. And uh, there is a little bit of language in the chorus, and so maybe you don't play it loud with the kids in the car. But I promise you this. When you hear that guitar solo kick in, you're, you're going to need to make sure that the cruise control is set. If not, you're going to have your foot on the floor and your fist in the air. All right, number seven, a band that I saw in Biloxi, Mississippi here a couple years ago with Corn and Breaking Benjamin. It's a band called Motionless and White. Like these guys a lot. Again, a big industrial type sound, and uh, it kind of drags a little bit at times, like live, because a lot of the songs sound similar. But I love the studio work from them. I wanted to go back a couple years with them. They have had some really good tunes as of late. I could have gone reincarnate here, but I went with America. I love that song. I love how in your face it is. It's America, your number seven song from Motionless and White. Number six, I dig this band. And uh, what's interesting, too, when I went to Hollywood here a few years back, I, uh, I elected to get a tattoo at West Hollywood Tattoo, which is kind of a legendary tattoo place in Hollywood, you know, just down the street, you know, from uh, the Whiskey A Go-Go. And, and I got a chance to go see all that and ride by there. And I felt like a kid again. It's like, oh, well, that's where Molly Crew played, and that's where Rat played, and there's a Troubadour. There's all these great places down there. And if you've never been and driven down Rodeo Drive, you owe it to yourself to go. It was a bucket list thing for me. So I went out to West Hollywood. I got a tattoo, and uh, it just so happens that the guy that did my tattoo also tattoos a couple of the guys in this band, Black Veil Brides. And he showed me you know, several autographs and pictures. And what's amazing to go in there, it's uh, Robert... Benedetto is the like the lead guy there. It's his shop. But you walk in that place, and there's like all these platinum records on the wall. It's Guns N' Roses. It's Motley Crue. It's like the who's who of the West Hollywood scene. And all these people have been tattooed at this tattoo shop. And so it's basically a souvenir for me. I'm a bit of a collector. 
And I was like, you know what? I'll always be able to say I sat in the same chair that Ozzy Osbourne sat in to get a tattoo. And it's true. It's and a, a quick story about that, too. Ozzy was on an interview with K-Rock. He took the interview at the tattoo shop. This is back in the 80s, kind of like in the height of the Ozzy Osbourne mania. And he told me, he said, hey, well, Ozzy, what are you up to these days? He goes, oh, I'm down here getting a tattoo. And he said where it was. And then like an hour later, they had to uh, sneak him out of the building. They had to bring in police because everybody ran down there to get a glimpse of Ozzy. Pretty crazy. But uh, Black Veil Brides, I like this song in the end. It is one of those songs that kind of makes me feel empowered. I really do. And uh, when I think about writing the book of recovery, this is kind of one of the songs that I think about. You know, it's just, Who's going to tell the story of your life? And I feel like I need to do that. But, uh, you know, the reality of it is Black Veil Brides is kind of a throwback. You know, they wear kind of like the Kiss-style clothing. Uh, They had the big choruses, kind of a a tribute band of the 80s. But uh, I do like those guys a lot. And uh, Andy, the singer from Black Veil Brides, also a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan. All right, number five on the list. And uh, I love this band. I have met these guys as well. I actually saw them play down in South Louisiana at a bar in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana. Been to that place several times. Met so many different people there. Ten years, Avatar, and the band Red. They're actually a Christian band, Red. Nine or ten albums out now, I think. If you don't know Red, you need to know Red. You do. They're great. They're a great band. They're great live. And again, they've got a little bit of an industrial sound. It's a little heavy, but it's more radio-friendly then perhaps maybe motionless and white. Red's a great band. I wanted to include them. I went with the song Feed the Machine. It's very much industrial. And, uh, you know, basically it's about, you know, it's about, you know, commerce and how we have such a individualistic society that uh, places so much value on that sort of stuff. And you got to do your part to go out there and feed the machine. You know, it's like I work all day. Let me go spend my money to feed the machine, to feed all this commercialism. And so it's not a political song per se, it's just more of a, a social commentary. But again, if you don't know Red, you need to know them. I'm just, and I say that right now. I don't care what you, you know, if you're a, a rock music fan at all, if you like Christian music or you don't. And it's not, it's not like really in your face when it comes to that sort of stuff. It is still kind of radio friendly, but they are very much a religious band, even though at times they have uh, had some albums that hadn't necessarily been, you know, scripturally based. That's not to say that they've abandoned their faith by any stretch of the imagination, but um they're a very diverse band, and I think you would really dig them if you don't know them. If you're looking for a new band to kind of get into, listen to Red. All right, number four, kind of going in the opposite direction. Uh, one of the great guitar players of this generation, and maybe not the soloist that maybe some other guys like Mark Tremonti are, but this guy is a rock guitarist, one of the best ever. Talking about Zach Wilde and the Black Label Society. Number four on your list, the song Still Born from Black Label Society. Could have gone in this river, but I was in a rocking mood today, so we're going to go stillborn. And here's an interesting thing about Zach Wilde. So Zach Wilde actually joined Ozzy when I was still in high school. He's you know, reunited, of course, for the uh, you know the final tour, which everybody has, you know, like ten final tours. Um, but Zach Wilde had one of the funniest quotes and I actually had a chance to talk to Eddie Trunk about this. Eddie didn't remember. It was I, I was able to stump Eddie. We had a, we have a mutual friend that put us together, and I had a couple of questions I asked him. He didn't know the answer. This is one of them. So back shortly after Zach Wilde joined Ozzy Osbourne, he was interviewed in Guitar Magazine, and I was a subscriber. 
And they, they said, you know, asked him kind of how he felt about his place in history. He goes, you know, I'm the third luckiest guy in the world. And so Zach, being much more intelligent than people realize and much funnier than people realize, wasn't talking about succeeding Randy Rhodes and Jackie Lee. He was talking about two other guys. And you're thinking, so the interviewer finally gets back to it, and he goes, yeah, three luckiest guys in the world, you know, Randy Rhodes, Jakey Lee, and, and Zach Wilde. And Zach said, oh, no, no. He said, I'm the third luckiest guy in the world behind Dan Quayle and Pee Wee Herman. And I laughed and laughed and laughed. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. And, again, if, if you ever go watch that Behind the Music special, uh, you'll see a lot about Zach, but also, too, you can find those uh, that metal show episodes on youtube and i may be paramount plus um and watch the ones with zach because he is an absolute riot but uh again one of the great rock guitar players and he has a huge following huge when they when, when black label society plays it is a real rock crowd okay number three we're gonna lighten it up a little bit down the stretch here and we're gonna go with a little more uh, some bands that had a little more commercial success Number three, and I believe this was the first their debut single, and they've been around forever and a day, and they've in many ways kind of become an adult contemporary band. And I and I hate to say it that way, uh, because um, Adam Levine has become such a household name. But I dig the older stuff a little bit better. Not that he's not ultra talented, he is. But I went back to "Harder to Breathe" by Maroon Five as your number three song. "Harder to Breathe" back when they were really a rock band. So there you go. Uh, number two, no list of bands with colors in their names would be complete without the Black Crows. So that's your number two band. And uh, thought about putting them in with the classic rock bands, but I didn't feel like that was right. I didn't feel like they fit. They are a legendary band, but I think I considered them more in the modern era. And I remember when Shake Your Money Maker. And all that stuff dropped in the early going. I was like, you know what? This is this is something different than what I've been listening to. Much different. And I, the very first time that I heard these guys play, Jealous Again, I was like, these guys are different. So I went out and bought Shake Your Money Maker, and I loved every single track. And then the next thing you know, there's this album and that album, and I have them all. I love the Black Crows. I love Chris Robinson. I'm glad that they've gotten back together. I hope to see them again. I uh, hope before they get mad at each other again. But Chris is incredible, an incredible songwriter, an incredible showman, kind of in the same vein as Mick Jagger in many respects. I had a chance to see these guys with Government Mule years ago down in Lafayette, Louisiana. And uh, their rendition of The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down was just incredible. I think it lasted like 15 minutes. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, there sometimes I'll call up uh, their live versions of that song because I think they just do a great job of it. And the Black Crows are a phenomenal bands, so we went with Remedy today. Remedy, but the Black Crows, your number two song. But number one, and I was on this band's bandwagon long before most of you Mississippi middle-aged guys, and I, you know, I'm, that's where I am now. In my heart, sometimes I still feel like I'm 19 or 18 or whatever. Uh, but I remember being a kid, and I had to special order this poster, this Mother's Milk poster, that was made like of uh, this really textured paper. It wasn't like the typical poster. It was very expensive, and I ordered it and uh, sent, out, sent my thing off to their fan club, and they sent me this great poster, and it wasn't signed, Anthony. It was a Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, 
I was on those guys. I actually learned about the Chili Peppers from one of my brother's friends, and he was in college. And he was the guy we from out of state, and he was like playing the stuff in his room. I was like, who is that? Next thing I know, I'm down the rabbit hole. Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love them. And when I, when I was in uh, when I was in rehab, and I said that so casually, but you, we're all friends, right? You know, Blood Sugar Sex and Magic was out, and uh, that song "Under the Bridge" really meant a lot to me. And uh, I have scar tissue around here; it's right next to me. I haven't started reading it yet. Perhaps I will once we get through Sounding Day. I've got four or five books. I've got that Dave Grohl book. I've got to read um, here pretty soon. But uh, that one meant a lot to me. And, and Anthony, of course, is in recovery, and I, I think an awful lot of him. But I went with "By the Way." By the way, is your number one song today on top 10 modern rock bands with colors in their name. I don't know how people don't like the Chili Peppers, and I know that there are some people that think they're really silly and that sort of stuff. These guys are very accomplished musicians. These guys do it right. They put on a phenomenal show. If you're not a fan, you should be. So there you go. That's your top 10 modern rock band list with colors in their names. And I appreciate the suggestion as always. I like it when you guys are somewhat creative, but sometimes you get a little too specific you know, it's like, hey, Steve, what about um, top 10 songs by bands whose singers were born in the second week of August? You know, and that's really cool, but I'm not going to do that level of research. A lot of good lists out there. And so Monday, Monday, we're doing another rock band that formed in the late 80s and had some huge radio hits. And this is not a hair band. How about that? It's a rock band, you know, with songs that you've sung. And songs that you love that we hadn't done yet. I texted Roy the other day. I said, hey, have we done this band? He's like, nope, we're doing it Monday. We're doing, I'm excited about it. Really, really excited about it. It was kind of a uh, super group in some respects. They kind of put some, some of the best pieces from other bands together. And they formed a super group. And it turned out to really work well for all of us. And that, that's a little hint there. I don't think any of you will figure it out, though. Maybe. Maybe you will. No more hints, though. That's your top 10 list. You have an idea for the top 10 list. Reach out. Let me know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Let me encourage you as always. Follow Roy Samante and Izzy Mandelbaum on Twitter. If you're a Spotify listener, Roy's the way to go. If you're Apple Music, you go with Izzy. Roy can be found at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7 on Spotify and Twitter. And then Izzy always responds to Roy's tweets, and so maybe perhaps you jump in there with Izzy. Because, uh, you know, you don't think you're better than him, do you? It's go time. Well, Seinfeld reference for those of you that are looking at the TV like, what, what's going on? All right, let's get to our next segment of the show. Brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Longtime sponsors of this show. Love those folks to death. Matter of fact, I'm heading up there as soon as we finish the show. Go by and say goodbye to a uh, longtime employee. Cheyenne is leaving the family and uh, has found her a great job. She has her degree from Mississippi State. And now she is taking her talents on the road. And I understand headed to New York. So good for her. I want to go by there and tell her goodbye. Because, again, those people are like family to me. And they'll treat you like family, too. It's not that I'm just so doggone special. They love everybody, including you. Stand a man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. They will love you like your own kin folks do. Always finding great Mississippi State merchandise for you to purchase. Reach out to them at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping 
on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. It is, it is hoodie time of year. And let me tell you right now, because you're not thinking about that, you're thinking about those sunbathed days out in the left field lounge of May, June. That's not what we're going to get next month. If you hadn't already bought your hoodie, you need to do it now. Go ahead and order that today. Get that M over S hoodie. Be glad you did. Save yourself a little time and trouble on game day. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. Promo code BSR. All right, let's spend a few minutes talking a little bit about this Ronye Wilson thing. I don't know why, but for the last few weeks, this has really been on my mind, and I was thinking, you know, how awful this all is. This happened back on uh, January 21st, 2020. So we have just passed the two-year anniversary of Deronye Wilson's passing. And this family, to this day, still does not have a lot of answers. Now, before I began to really pursue this, I reached out to the family and said, hey, I'm looking to write an article about this to kind of draw some attention to the case. I want to keep this in conversation. I want this to be something that people are still aware of, that we do not have justice for Bayer, that one of our most beloved former players in this generation is no longer with us and no one has been held accountable. Now, one thing I want to say, uh, I don't ever want to do anything that stirs up unrest for people that are dealing with grief. I, I, I don't. That, that's, to me, it's insensitive. There's no story that's worth that. And so I reached out to them and said, hey, we want to do this. And uh, I, I shared with his mom, Tamika, I said, listen, we want you guys to know we have not forgotten about you and about Bayer and what has happened. We, we haven't. We have not forgotten. And while we may not have corresponded recently, it doesn't mean that we've necessarily moved on. We've, you know, we're still living our lives, but I think a lot of people have to kind of maybe just thought, you know what, hey, maybe the police have gotten somebody I just haven't heard. Well, nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. Now, I'm not saying that to be critical of the Birmingham Police Department. Please understand me. And that's not, you're not going to hear me rant and rave about that, okay? But one thing that I will say, and maybe if nothing else, we got this accomplished yesterday. So first, as soon as I drop a kid off at school, um, I get back and I start making phone calls. And I left messages with several people. You know, the information officer, you know, the, the uh, homicide division, found out who the detective was, a message for him. So I start leaving these messages in the morning, and I just, I just wanted somebody to talk to to get information about where to send tips and any update they could provide. Now, of course, they're not going to give us, you know, details of an investigation, nor should they. But I started making all these calls, and, and, and I, I didn't get a call back for a long time. And then I finally get a call back, and uh, we connect. Uh, with this officer and they said hey it just so happens we just sent out uh, our release today on our social media uh, asking the community for help on this situation so what there's a couple things that tells me is number one that maybe just maybe if nothing else the phone calls maybe led to hey you know what maybe we should do this now not saying they did it because of me but i'm just saying that maybe maybe they were afraid that i was going to write an article that was um you know, unflattering to them. I don't know. I don't know what their motivation was. But at the very least, they did that yesterday. Very grateful for that. They put the information out there kind of asking for help. But the fact they're asking for help, even though they tell me we've made some progress in the case, 
tells me they haven't made any progress in the case. And that's what's really sad to me. That's really, really sad to me. And uh, again, I don't, I don't know the job, and especially you know, in circumstances like this, um, there are a lot of people that don't want to talk. In fact, multiple people close to Bear did not want to talk on the record. They did not want to talk on the record. And part of that is because, as one family member said, there's a killer out here walking around that knows me, and I don't know who they are. That's really, really scary. It also made me realize that we have a part to play in this, too. We need to keep this case alive. We need to do our part to help this family and the Birmingham Police Department to kind of keep this thing in the conversation. I'm not saying we have to do it every single day, but I'm going to follow up with them periodically just as, you know, hey, what, how are we? You know, what are we doing? You know, um, because what if it was your family member? And in some respects it is. And we talk about, you know, we don't have fans, we have family, and that's cute, and it's true in some respects. It really is a family. But this is a family dealing with a real-life situation that was a big part of our family during Bear's tenure here at Mississippi State. And let's not let our family relationship end just because his eligibility did. Does that make sense? So I'm going to ask you, and so many of you have retweeted the article. I'm going to ask you, because we didn't put it behind the paywall. We did it for free. There's always a certain format we got to follow, whatever. But let's keep this case in the conversation publicly. And I feel somewhat ashamed that I hadn't done something before now. Not that it's going to lead to anything, you know, not that I'm going to break the case. You know, we're not going to, you know, turn the boneyard into, you know, a true crime podcast. But this is our brother, our son, our maroon family member that was murdered, left five young children behind, and no one has been held accountable. It saddens me. It does. And again, I don't say that in any way to be critical of the Birmingham Police Department. It's a very, very difficult situation. And again, there are people that probably have information that are somewhat reluctant to come forward because of fear of reprisals. Don't know the circumstances behind Bear's death. Just know that they found him, robbed, and shot to death in his own residence. And I just encourage you, if you've ever raised a cowbell in support of Deronye Wilson or anything that he did, I'm going to encourage you Let's say a prayer for him and his family and for the detectives working this case. Let's provide some support. I've had some people reach out and said, hey, Steve, what if we put together a reward, you know, for information leading to the conviction? I think that's outstanding. I don't know how to go about any of that. But it's like, hey, what if we put together, you know, hey, to maybe help the police a little bit? Of course, they're encouraging people to call Crime Stoppers. Other people have said, hey, I've got a friend in the area that's uh, an attorney. I've got a friend in the area that's a journalist. I got a friend in the area that may know some people that could help get more publicity for this case. Because here's the thing that I think needs to happen is the people or persons responsible for this need to be reminded this is not going away. That we're going to keep this going. We're going to keep this in the conversation. 
until there is justice and closure for this family and for our fallen brother. That needs to happen. And the thing that I go back to, and I thought about this yesterday, and I guess maybe go back another day. I had already done some preliminary work, and I decided I wanted to go eat. And it's like, well, I took my kid to church, and I was like, you know, while he's going to that, instead of just going home, I'm going to go just kind of sit and collect my thoughts. And I sat there for a while, and I called Mike Namath, and I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really pursue this and um, at the very least get an update for our fans, and maybe we can kind of draw some attention to the case again. And I reached out to Bill Martin former Mississippi State media relations uh, you know, director, and he's in Tennessee now. And he's like, yeah, I mean, this would, this would be great. Let's do this. Because I don't think that Tamika Wilson and her family should ever feel alone in this. And I know that our, our loss in no way compares to hers, in no way whatsoever. I'm not in any way trying to suggest that. But I also don't want her to ever feel like, you know what, the Mississippi State people loved us as long as Bear was playing there. But after he died and after we got him buried, and so many of you generously gave to that GoFundMe uh, to make sure that he had a suitable burial. But I don't want her to feel like, well, you know what, they helped me through that, but then they're gone. You know, life goes on. That's true. But what if it was, what if it was your child? What if it was your friend? What if it was your former high school teammate? Wouldn't you want somebody to kind of shine a light on this and just kind of help you? Because the last thing we ever need to happen in this case is for people to feel like that we've forgotten. That we've forgotten. Well, I got away with it. Nobody's talking about it anymore. It's all died down. I don't, I don't, let's not let it die down. You know, it's the thing that I've always learned about life is that everything that is measured improves. Like everything that you set like a, you know, some accountability to gets better. You know, people begin to kind of rise. And same thing with this kind of stuff. It's like as soon as it leaves the discussion, then all of a sudden, and again, I'm not being critical of Birmingham PD, but if we stop talking about it, there's a little less urgency. I'm not trying to say those guys aren't professional. But when there are people involved, and I'm not saying we want to harass anybody involved in law enforcement ever, but maybe we can help not just sharing articles written by me or the Birmingham paper, but sharing you know, these requests for information and for cooperation from the community from the Birmingham Police Department. You know, let's keep this conversation going. And, uh, you know, a lot happens in life and you get balled in. And my life is fixing to get very, very busy, you know, with the new book coming out, finally. Uh, but the reality of all this is this, is that, um, you know, having had people in my life murdered, you know, and, and nobody ever held accountable, there's a part of you that kind of dies with them. And then there's another part of you that kind of aches along crying out for justice. And then if you don't get it, that part dies too. I don't want to see this happen with Deronye Wilson. And listen, that's not in any way to suggest that his, his death or loss is any more significant than anybody else has died in the city of Birmingham. I'm not trying to suggest that. But we don't have a relationship with them. We have a relationship with this family. And so I ask you, for your support or ideas or anything you have. And even if it's just something as simple as, you know what, Steve, I'm on Facebook and uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm going to go look up the Birmingham PD social media accounts and I'm going to share this for Bear. I'm going to share this for this family because it's the right thing to do. We're not going to make anything on this. This is not the, That's not the objective. We're trying to help this family get justice for a young man that represented our university well. And you know what? I wish he'd have come back for his senior year too. 
I really do. I think he would have probably polished out the game. But here's the thing, and I spoke to Tim Brewster yesterday. You know, Tim was the guy that basically identified uh, Bear. You know, Bear didn't play high school football until like his senior year. And I remember getting his film, and the thing that impressed me is he's down the field just waylaying people, blocking down the field. I was like, this is the team first guy. You know, he got here and he kind of had to figure it out. You know, but Tim Brewster's the guy that stood on the table to get him. We actually had another receiver, and I won't mention the name. We had another receiver committed that had had kind of a subpar senior year. We dropped him and took Deronye Wilson. And everybody was so incredibly critical. Everybody was like, oh, my gosh, why did we do this? I can't believe we would do this. This kid's been committed to us for this long. We drop him, and then we take this two-star kid from Winona High School in Birmingham. And little did we know that guy was going to be the leading X receiver on a team that went to number one in the country. I go back and watch that Auburn game, and I remember how much that meant, how much it meant to Bear. In 2015, we went back to Auburn and we beat those guys too. In the final seconds of that game, Deronye Wilson walked over to the Mississippi State section and he blew a kiss to everybody that came because we won again. We beat Auburn back-to-back years, beat them at their place. And I remember what it meant, meant to him is because in the final two, he picked Mississippi State over Auburn and people criticized him for it. Absolutely criticized him for it. And then he came to Mississippi State anyway. We did the best we could. Wish he would have come back, but he didn't. And now he's moved on. And now he's no longer with us. And so I just encourage you, anything you can do to kind of help draw attention to this case, please do so until this family can have justice and the bear can rest in peace. All right, final segment of the show. Let's talk a little recruiting. Brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you before, if I was moving to Starkville, this would be my first option. I would look at Portico long and hard because, number one, the proximity to the Mississippi State campus. I would like to be closer to campus. You want to be closer to campus. On game day, it saves you a lot of time and trouble. I mean, how many times do you load up all your gear, all your tailgating stuff, and you drag it from all over the country to go set up in a junction to enjoy time with friends and family. Well, if you lived at Portico, that's a very, very short drive. 1.1 miles from the Mississippi State campus, conveniently located right off of 82. You take that turn at 12, the very first right, Pat Station Road leads you to Portico. Very easy to find, very easy to get to, easy access to every major highway in Starkville. Be sure if you're thinking of moving to Starville, to give them an opportunity to serve you. Let me encourage you to give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. Great friend, and this is a guy that is committed to making Starville and Mississippi State a much better place. Not that it's not awesome now. They're making it more awesome. 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Phase one, completely sold out. Phase two, construction's getting underway. Need the weather to cooperate with us a little bit, but you can get a two-bedroom, two-bath home up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. And here's the deal. Because the construction hasn't fully been finished, you can have a say in picking your lot. You can have a say in picking the house plans. You kind of get it as you want it. That's a cool thing. How many times in life do you go buy a home or you move into a new place, and it's great, but it's not everything you want? You're like, well, I love the place, but I wish this, I wish that. 
Well, now you can have some say in that. Reach out to Brooks Bryant today and make Portico your next move. All right, biggest recruiting story right now that's being discussed over on jeanspage.com is a decision that has been made in the last 24 hours. Mississippi State not planning now to sign Biloxi three-star defensive lineman R.J. Moss. He is a guy that committed to Mississippi State back during the summer, was expected to sign in December. That got pushed back. There At that point, there was some, uh, you know, according to some of his coaches, there was some doubt about his ability to qualify. They put him on an academic plan. I understand he is following that. But it does appear it is going to be a tight squeeze. It is, it is not a foregone conclusion that he doesn't need to go to JUCO for a couple of years. Now, here is my gripe in all of this. And I know that it is not popular among other people. And I'm okay with that too. Here's the deal. I don't like the timing of it. If you make this decision back in December or you communicate this to them back in early January, you give him the opportunity to take some other visits and for his high school coaches to reach out to schools that perhaps had some interest early on and share with them that he's back on the market. So I don't like the timing. Now, here's the thing, too. I'm also not a Pollyanna. This is not the Boy Scouts. This is a Southeastern Conference. And so if Mike Leach and that staff feels like, hey, you know, listen, we've got to make some other decisions, I respect that. I just don't like how this was communicated and as late as it was. That's my concern with all of this. Because at the end of the day, you know, this is a young man that has been loyal to Mississippi State. He's had other opportunities to take visits, and he's elected not to. He has remained locked in with Mississippi State. Now, of course, you know, getting into school here and getting into school there is – there's a you know, uniform criteria for every bit of that. It is a difficult business, and sometimes there is some collateral damage. And unfortunately, that appears to be the case with R.J. Moss. Now, I understand that he's got some Sunbelt interest. He'll probably take a visit somewhere this weekend. Don't know for sure. But here's what I also understand, too, that he could have been in a situation, too, where he goes, you know what, I'm going to wait this thing out and uh, see if things happen uh, later with Mississippi State, he could do that. I would not advise him to do that, though. You know, I would take the sure thing, especially with the transfer portal out there now. You know, it's like, hey, you know, maybe I sign with South Alabama and put together a good year and I go in the portal, and perhaps then I've proven myself on the FBS level and I've got an opportunity to be in the Power Five. Uh, but it is a difficult undertaking. This is a young man that, um, you know, that I like an awful lot. And then now here we are, him scrambling here at the end uh, to find somewhere to go to school. Now, at the end of the day, Mike Leach and these guys are charged with signing the best players that advance Mississippi State's football program. For sure. There's no doubt about it. That's what you have to do. Now, the flip side of this, too, and uh, you know, if, if we're going to hand out some indictments and be critical of people, you know, let, let's be fair about this, too. If you're in strong academic standing, we're not having this conversation, Right? And so you need to take care of business and ensure that you don't give anybody any reason to have any questions about your ability to enroll, handle college coursework, and the rigors and demands of playing in a Southeastern Conference. Every bit of that's true. Every bit of that is true. And there's no way you can walk away from that. It is a very difficult undertaking to be recruited by an SEC school and then enroll and handle the demands that are put on student-athletes. And so if Mike Leach 
and or the staff decides, you know what, hey, we've got questions about this, then they need to go in a different direction. I just think it needs to be communicated earlier. That's my only gripe. Because, listen, we drop kids all the time. Everybody does. Alabama does it. LSU does it. Now, of course, you know, our fans, and this is where I I don't want to be preachy here, but I'm going to say some things. One of the things that, that about our fan base at times that uh, is kind of the best and worst thing is like sometimes we act like that the standards that we apply to other people shouldn't apply to us. It's like we're more critical of our staff and we're more critical of our decisions. And you can say, well, you know, I just want what's best for Mississippi State. Well, here's the deal. There are probably some things about certain situations that we don't know all the details to. We have strong opinions, but we don't have a lot of facts. And so I share that with you, especially in a situation such as this, that if Mike Leach feels like certain players can't advance this program, then he doesn't need to sign them. He just needs to communicate that earlier. You know, people forget that we dropped uh, Tyler Woodard earlier this year. You know, he was a guy that, that I saw in the spring that was an outstanding player. And then next thing I know, you know, it's time to come to camp, and he has a bad evaluation in camp. He's offered an opportunity to come back to Big Dog Camp and work out and because he, he wasn't 100% when he worked out in June. Rather than come back and compete, he elect not to. Well, Mississippi State moves on and takes another defensive back. And, of course, that happened back, you know, during the season. And so we kind of forget that. You know, Jeterius Elam was a guy that I like an awful lot. He was a guy that committed very early to Mississippi State. Came to camp, wouldn't work out. Offered an opportunity to come back for Big Dog Camp. He elected not to take it. Next thing you know, Mississippi State takes another player in his position. Uh, Colin Griffin is a guy that was basically kind of part of a calf-cow deal. Recently committed to Clemson, and I think it's a real reach for Clemson. But you know what? They're the ones taking that reach. He comes to camp at Mississippi State. He's part of the top dog camp. He doesn't have a good day at camp. And I remember watching him that day, and I was very concerned. I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know if this kid's good enough you know, for us to take two scholarships. And we're going to take him and his friend. We're going to keep him to keep his friend. Well, his friend ultimately flips Tennessee anyway. And to me, that makes perfect sense. We're just going to move on. You know, if you're a guy and that you are, uh, you know, kind of part of this package deal, you know, if you're the cow in the calf-cow deal and we're not going to get the cow, we're certainly not going to take the calf. And now Colin Griffin's committed to Clemson and people are like, hey, Steve, well, look at this. I am perfectly okay with that. Perfectly okay. Because here's the deal, and I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to be honest with you because we're family, right? I like Joe Moorhead a lot. I do. And I think Joe was a good recruiter. I don't think Joe was a great evaluator. I think Joe and his staff did a great job getting guys to say yes and then keeping them committed to Mississippi State and ultimately getting them to the signing day table. I commend them for that, their ability to do that. And some of that was very difficult to do. After they had the, the uh, coaching change at Ole Miss, you may recall that uh, you know, the new staff at Ole Miss and then the network involved there, they, they tried to push Emmanuel Forbes and Armandus Cooley and others to visit. And there was this all-out effort to flip a Mississippi State commitment, and Joe got everybody to sign in December. Everybody. And it wasn't just by default. We had to really work hard to do it. And I remember walking out that day, and Joe looked at me, and he says, they didn't get any of our kids. They didn't get any. But here's the problem with that. Some of the guys that we took under Joe were G5 players. Some of those guys are marginal players that perhaps could have developed into SEC contributors, perhaps two deepers, but there wasn't a ton of stars. 
And I don't mean from the rankings. I mean in reality. There were a lot of guys that were good players that weren't great players. And many of those guys have now hit the transfer portal. We're basically going through that purge right now. There's still one or two guys out there that, uh, that will probably leave the team post-spring. Because the reality of it is they're not good enough to play here. So we don't want to replicate that. We, and we're just kind of getting out of that cycle, so let's not add to it. You know, when you go out and you get guys like Tyler Woodard, who, I, again, I think is a good player, but this is a guy, too, that didn't do what was expected of him to solidify his standing with Mississippi State. Same thing for Jeterius Elam, and in some respects, R.J. Moss. And, again, I'm not a fan of the timing. The reason we're not all upset about Elam and not all upset about Woodard is because of the fact that, um, you know, they had ample opportunity to find a landing spot. Now, Jeterius Elam is still out there on social media saying, if you need a DB, I'm your guy. But this is a situation of his making. If he had come to camp and worked out and put together a good workout, he'd be, he would have signed with Mississippi State in December. And one could say the same thing in some respects about R.J. Moss, too. If, you know, if there were not any questions about his situation, he would have signed in December. Now, I'm not going to sit here and besmirch a young man. not going to do that. Everybody involved in that situation, um, you know, has some blame to take in this. But the reality of it is, as much as I hate it, I also understand. Because if Mississippi State signs a player – and then they fail to qualify. We don't get that scholarship back this year. It's not like it was years ago. You know, like years ago, you sign everybody in February, and then all of a sudden, you know, if you have two or three guys who didn't qualify, well, then you could use those scholarships to sign mid-year enrollee guys uh, from the junior college ranks in December. Well, you no longer have that option. The NCAA is very serious about preventing oversigning because there were some schools who basically would just go sign, you know, 35 kids and then run off, 10 or 15 from their active roster, and you can't cut players due to athletic performance. You can cut them from disciplinary reasons, and you can encourage them. You can sit guys down and say, look, here's the reality of your situation here. You're welcome to stay or you're welcome to go somewhere else and play because here's where you rank in the pecking order. And so barring some injuries or transfers, chances are you're not going to play. You can have those honest conversations and say, listen, if you want to enter the transfer portal, we completely understand. You know, that's the reality of life. But you can't just run them off. Like if a guy says, well, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay here and work and fight. Well, they can do that. But the reality of that situation is, it's like, hey, if, you know, if your position coach is telling you, hey, you know, we're going to play 10 receivers and uh, you're number 14, you know, chances of you seeing the field pretty slim. And so those guys kind of understand what's expected of them. And so I don't think we ever need to go out and sign guys that are academic risk. I don't think we should ever go out and sign guys that are athletic risk and certainly not guys that are character risk. And one thing I'll say in the last, last few years, I don't think we've signed many bad actors. I think we've done a pretty good job evaluating these young men as people and kind of you know, talking to people around them and kind of fully appreciating you know, what they bring to the table. And I think R.J. Moss is a guy that, that has impeccable character. I mean, everybody that I've talked to at Biloxi High School speaks very highly of him. But he was a guy, too, that had some work to do. He had, he had some work to do. There's no doubt about it. So we move on. Now, there are some people, too, that uh, have this, you know, this blame Mississippi State first mentality. And, of course, there is some blame to go around here. But it's almost like every day we find something else, you know, to blame Mississippi State about. And I, I just say, you know, with folks like that, who needs rebels, right? I mean, if we have our own, it, it, every step that the staff makes, they're critical of, you know, 
and again, you're making these assumptions and making these opinions, you know, based on the fact that you don't have all the facts. And so things often make sense in hindsight. And not to mention, and this is something that's kind of lost in translation at times, yeah, we have room to sign 31 players under the current rule. But at this point, we don't have the scholarships available to do that. We're going to see a couple more players hit the transfer portal post-spring. We just had King Ani hit the portal yesterday. Now, he's the guy. People say, well, Steve, why would he do it now? He can't enroll anywhere else. Well, here's the deal. He has a chance to graduate this May. So he goes in the portal now because, you know, contrary to popular belief, if you plan to transfer within the Southeastern Conference, you have to be in the portal before February 1st. And so not to say that King Ani will get an SEC opportunity somewhere, but you remove all hope of that if you wait and go in the portal late. So he goes in the portal now. He can graduate in May and then be a grad transfer and still have, what, three years left to play? You know, so he might find an opportunity somewhere. I don't think it will be in the Southeastern Conference. But then when you see these guys go in the portal after the enrollment date at a new school, that doesn't mean – they expect to get into school and go through spring practice somewhere else. More times than not, it means that they're going to find the landing destination later in this process. And by going into the portal now, they can take visits throughout the spring and then enroll for summer school with their new school. And so, they're, again, a lot of things, we make a lot of assumptions without knowing the facts. And so I share that so you guys can be somewhat educated about this process. But uh, not going to have uh, many official visitors this weekend. Jabe Gilmore will be here. There was talk about potentially four visitors this weekend, and now without R.J. Moss coming, and then Jalen Farmer is an offensive line prospect that we've been recruiting uh, for some time. Alabama offers yesterday. He's headed there uh, this weekend. He'll officially visit there and uh, probably will end up signing there. But he is no longer an option for Mississippi State. I mean, obviously we would uh, love to sign that guy, but if he's not going to visit, he's not going to sign here. That's just kind of how this thing works. And, um, you know, we talked about Jamarian Burt earlier this week. Doesn't look like he's going to be here either. So it'll be Javay Gilmore this weekend will be your lawn official visitor. And it's Wednesday's not going to be a big day for Mississippi State. Now, of course, you've got a couple of guys that are already in the boat that um, their signings will be announced. That's Caden Pope and, of course, Xavier Thomas. Interviewed Caden Pope a little bit earlier this week. So these are guys that they're already counted in the rankings. So you're not going to improve your ranking on Wednesday if you're Mississippi State, unless you add some high school players. And, of course, we will be taking R.J. Moss off the commitment list. Um, how that whole – when it all kind of breaks loose. But you got Kamari Terrell out there. That's a defensive back from uh, Shoemaker, Texas. He is a guy that Mississippi State is still pursuing. And then you've got A.J. Allen, running back, that's committed to TCU. And I actually feel like State's got a little bit of juice right there. And so if you could add one of those two, you certainly can do it Wednesday. But outside of that, there's not a lot of names out there just kind of rolling around. Now, there will be post-spring. It's crazy to think about this. It's like we just keep adding and adding and adding and adding signing dates constantly. I think Mississippi State, again, is smart to hold a scholarship or two for the post-spring transfer portal entrance. And there are some guys that are in the portal now that Mississippi State's pursuing, as you guys know, Princeton Pines, an offensive lineman uh, from Sam Houston State, the state recruited out of high school. You know, he could be a guy you add late. And, again, he's a guy that after this semester will be able to graduate with his degree and move on, not eligible to come right now. 
He's already transferred once. He transferred from Baylor to Sam Houston. And so that's an option for you late. And it almost, the way this transfer portal stuff works, it just seems like it just makes better sense to keep a scholarship or two available because you may be able to get a player that makes you a better team in 2022. I want to thank you guys, too, for your patience with uh, Dogpile the Book. Uh, we were expected to get word that it had shipped this week. They've actually pushed that back now. Uh, to the second week of February, which people have been so great about it. I am just so eager to have this done and have it on the shelves and for you guys to have your books. And I want to remind you guys, too, I said this on the show before, and I think it's important. That's why I say it. I have not earned a dime on this book yet, not one. They offered to pay me royalties before Christmas, and I said, nope, I'm, I'm going to wait because until our people have their books, I don't feel right about spending their money. So none of that money has been spent, not a dime. My family didn't get a better Christmas because of uh, the delays for Dogpile. Just, I mean, that's just not how I'm built. I have ethics, and there's nobody anywhere that probably would say, hey, well, Steve's got his money, and maybe they would, but I haven't. I haven't made a dime on this book, and I'm not going to take the first royalty check until after all your books have been shipped. I'm just not going to do it because I, I've got ethics, and that's how I feel about it. And, uh, you know, I'm doing fine. I, I've got a good job, and it's not like that I'm, I'm having to eat ramen noodles for dinner, even though sometimes I do. Uh, but the reality of it is is that um, I just don't feel right about accepting any compensation for Dogpile until you guys have your product. And um, so if you're looking to order, you can. Go to dogpilethebook.com. And while you're there, you can pick up signed and personalized copies of Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you find that through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Books a Million, or through your local bookstore. Looking for Stark Villains gear, find it at StarkVillains.com. That's been pretty popular as of late. People hit me up regularly. They see me wearing one of the shirts. Steve, where do I get one? Easy, StarkVillains.com. You'll be glad you did. Maybe get one to wear to Duty Noble Field. How about that? You're looking for a hoodie. It's windy out there today. You'll be glad you have on some uh, thicker clothes. Well, listen, that's going to do it for today. I'll be back on Monday. Hopefully we're talking about a big Mississippi State men's basketball win and perhaps two in a row uh, for the ladies. But we'll be getting you ready on Monday uh, for National Signing Day. Again, not expecting Wednesday to be a big day because most of the bulldog hay is already in the barn. But we'll keep you apprised of the latest updates as we kind of move forward uh, into NAFL Signing Day, which is Wednesday of next week. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.